I cannot describe to you how amazing this week was. And for those of you who are new, you need to know that the vast majority of the students that were with us on Beach Week are here in the early service, right down front, leading in worship this morning. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, you know, this is this is one of the highlights of our year. We, we love getting to do this. This is actually kind of a throwback for Julie and me because we actually met on a trip exactly like that like 10 years ago. Yeah, we always tell them at the beginning, like, be careful who you sit by. You may end up <laughs> married them. That's right. It was a great week, though, and we are just so grateful to be blessed by amazing teenagers in our church. You know what? I want you to know something. Every single I want to echo what John Nidell said in setting up the offering this morning. To every single one of you who pray for your church, who serve in any ministry in the church, who give faithfully, you had a significant hand in all of that that went on this week and the life change that happened. So thank you for being that kind of a church. And I also want to make sure that you understand the amazing, amazing, and I I don't use this word lightly, but the amazing anointed leadership of Pastor Dan Underhill and the job that he does with our students. Day in and day out is absolutely, in a God-honoring way, just stupid. So it's just, it's unbelievable what Dan does. You know, Beach Week is a great momentum builder for what's coming, but it's also an amazing referendum on what has gone before. And I'm just telling you right now, those of us who are over high school age, we better stay on our toes because these kids are pushing us and they are going places that we could only dream and dare to ask God to take them. So it's exciting to see that happening. Uh, hey, real quickly, for those of you who are new, uh, my name is Mac Richard. This is my lovely bride, Julie. And we are actually one church in two locations this morning. So I want to ask you if you will just go nuts and put your hands together as we welcome into our service Lake Hills Church downtown. Good to be with y'all this morning. You know, last week we began this series two for two, and we thought, you know, in the middle of summer, we're, we're going to kind of mix it up a little bit, and Julie and I would do a series together, and so we said, if we're going to do a two-week series together, and we began praying about and thinking about what would we preach about, what would God have us speak into the life of Lake Hills Church, and last week we talked about the fight, and how if you're going to love right, you got to fight right. And it was, it was an amazing opportunity for us as husband and wife to prepare for that sermon. Um, we, had, we got a little more preparation than we had bargained for, I think. Well, I think whenever God, I said this last week, whenever he leads you to speak on something, it, just be aware that he may give you the opportunity that week to put into practice <laughs> what he is teaching you. So, so last so, week was the fight, but this week we're talking about the forgiveness. And how does that work? What does that look like? In our relationships, in every relationship that we have, obviously in marriage, but in every single relationship that you have of any substance, you're going to have the opportunity to forgive someone. You're going to need someone to forgive you at some point. And it was really funny as Julie and I were kind of putting the crowning touches on this message, one of our close friends, a member of our staff family, felt led, I guess, to post a picture of Julie and me on Instagram. And we didn't even know that this was going out, didn't even know that the picture existed. And so as we were preparing and praying about, thinking about how to preach on forgiveness, this picture shows up on Instagram yesterday. Wait, 
now, hosted have, by somebody who allegedly is a very close friend. Yeah, who used to be, and their, their things have been boxed up and they're no longer on our staff, but I'm teasing. But, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I have taken a better picture before at some point. And how on earth did they catch me talking? <laughs> must have been high-speed film. It must have been. So it must have been like a video that they froze the frame or something. I don't know, but immediately we were given the opportunity to forgive. <laughs> That's actually pretty representative of our life. That's <laughs> actually pretty accurate. <laughs> I think we can take it down. <laughs> Everybody gets a picture. Now, you know, it, it, we can talk about forgiving, that picture being posed and all those sort of things. And the reality is there are different degrees of offense to forgive. There are different types of forgiveness that we get to walk around in. There are those kind of little things like, really? You thought that was okay to post that picture? Or, you know, you didn't even ask me what movie I wanted to go see tonight. Or those kind of little things along the way. On the other end of the spectrum, there are those massive wounds. Those huge hurts that require an amazing process and an amazing amount of grace to actually get to the point of forgiveness. Now, it's important, I think, at the beginning for us to make sure that you understand there is no way in the world that we could possibly cover every scenario, every potential set of circumstances out there that requires forgiveness. But what we're going to take out of Scripture this morning, what we're going to look at together as a church family transcends circumstance. God's principles work across the board wherever we choose to put them into practice. And that's very important. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Ephesians chapter number four as we kind of go back just a little bit to a verse that we looked at or a passage that we looked at last weekend as we get going this weekend. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, Get rid of all bitterness. Say all. All. All bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And it's interesting to me um, that forgiveness is not just a church word or a mm. biblical concept. As we were researching and looking for information on forgiveness, we actually discovered so many studies had been done in areas where they implemented the culture of forgiveness, love and forgiveness going hand in hand. And as a matter of fact, there are actually um, foundations and organizations that go into areas of our world that have been um, ridden with maybe um, child slavery or um, all kinds of abominations. And they these organizations go into those areas, not affiliated with the church. They go into those areas and they begin to teach and train on the concept of forgiveness as healing the society. And so I love to study. I love to look at God's word. And then I love to take a step back. And my favorite is when scientists, sociologists, 
physicians, psychiatrists, all of the groups come together and they agree, the sociology, the physiology, the psychology, all line up with God's theology. And so as I began to prepare, I loved taking a study that had nothing to do with the Bible and see how that study reinforces Scripture. Because again, we are reminded that God's way works. Whether you believe in God or you don't, it's hard to argue that the concept of forgiveness does not benefit the society. We here, though, know that God created us, has a plan for our lives, and gives us his word as a guideline to live by. So I love the scripture, and I love it even more when society backs up the scripture. So forgiveness is not simply a biblical concept, but it definitely is reinforced in the Bible. So let's start then with a working definition of what forgiveness is. That was another thing I discovered. As I looked at all of these different sources, it was hard to come together for them to align up on what the definition is. So here is what we pulled together. Forgiveness is the decision to abandon anger, bitterness, or resentment. This this fact They all agreed on, no matter what angle they were coming from, that forgiveness is the decision or the choice to leave behind the anger, the bitterness, or the resentment. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting was one of the primary places that this has been borne out is in the nation of Rwanda, which has been torn by civil war for years. And what they have found is that retribution does not work. The only thing that is healing that society, one person and one life at a time, is forgiveness. Is the decision and the choice that is being made on the ground there in the face of unspeakable, unspeakable atrocities. The only thing that is making a difference is the decision that people are making to forgive and to move forward with their lives. And it's important to make the distinction too, I think, that forgiveness is not a feeling. (laughs) You actually have to put your feelings aside. That was um, a big part of all the research that we um, read was that you put the feelings aside and you go with the facts. You go with what you know to be true. And God's word says, leave behind the evil thoughts. Leave behind the harsh words. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So I have the choice now. I may not have chosen to be the victim of betrayal, of a crime, whatever the hurt or the wound is. But I now have the choice on how I respond to it. So the forgiveness part gives me back that hope and that control of how now I can respond to whatever was done to me. So forgiveness is the decision, the choice to leave behind the anger and the resentment. I think another way you can just think of this as you go forward out of this service today is forgiveness is the responsibility of the response. We have the responsibility for how we will respond to how we're hurt, how we're wounded. And, and listen, it's real. I'm not, I'm not telling you that, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. It wasn't that bad. We're going to talk about what forgiveness is not in just a second. This is a great quote, I think. Um, and, I, and honestly, I can't remember the person that it came from, but it's not original. But this is important. Forgiveness has nothing to do with absolving a criminal of his crime. 
It has everything to do with relieving oneself of the burden of being a victim, letting go of the pain and transforming oneself from victim to survivor. I'm telling you, that is strong medicine right there. That's a fact. You know, as long as I am hurt, as long as I hold on to unforgiveness, then I get to remain in a posture of the victim. I get to stand back and go, it, it, wasn't, I just, it just hurt. It just hurt. Look what, look what they did to me. Or, look what they did to me. You know, sometimes we like to hold on to that because can we just, I want to just take an unscientific poll here for just a second. Raise your hand if you have ever experienced the fact that sometimes it's fun to stay mad. Can I just see a show of hands? It's sometimes it's just fun. It, it just, it's just like, you know what? I like the way this feels. I want to tear somebody's head off. And that's, that's adrenaline, that your body releases the, um, the hormone adrenaline and cortisol when you get angry, when you get fired up. And then there's a part of that's kind of like, whoa, man, I feel alive. Well, kill somebody. That's the laugh of recognition right there. That's right. That's right. But it's true. There are times. I'm just glad you didn't look at me when you said I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> it is, though. But, but what, we, what we've got to understand is that that doesn't work. It doesn't work long term. You can be mad for a little while. And the Bible says, as we talked about last week, in your anger, do not sin. It's okay to be mad. It's not okay to stay mad or to stay hurt because then you remain a victim and God didn't create you didn't create me to be a victim the Bible says in Christ we are more than overcomers we are victors not victims Somebody help me preach. But if you can look at that as like you find yourself in this room, that this has happened to you, the betrayal, the wound, whatever it is, and so you find yourself in this room of being the victim, and it was a real hurt, and it really yeah. happened, and you think, I didn't want to be in this room, but you find yourself there. Now picture yourself pulling out a key. Forgiveness is the key that gets you out of that room into the room of survivor and overcomer. And God offers you that strength, offers you that power. And you know what? You can forgive and feel like you've moved on and something will happen and you find yourself back in that room again. And so you know what you do? You reach in that back pocket, you pull out the key, you forgive and you move and into that the doesn't next room. And that doesn't mean that you didn't forgive. Right. A lot of times you're like, oh man, I st I'm, now I'm mad again. Maybe I didn't really forgive. No, you did, probably. But sometimes forgiveness is a process. Sometimes you have to re-forgive somebody. Remember the Apostle Paul wrote about the thorn in his flesh and three times he prayed for it to be removed? Sometimes a thorn in your flesh is another human being. Again, thank the you for looking at The laugh of recognition. No. Oh, my word. Do you know how many nights I go home and just tell Julie, I'm so grateful for you. But sometimes thorns are other people, and God will not remove them from your side. And in those cases, it's E-G-R, extra grace required. And you have to go back and re-forgive and re-forgive again and again. Now... Before you start to think that we're kind of out here in the ether talking nice Christian platitudes, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. I want to give you five things to write down. This is what forgiveness is not the same as. Number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. Just forgive and forget. No, you don't have to forget. 
Now, it doesn't mean, again, you, you choose to let go of the anger, the rage, the bitterness, all those things, but it doesn't mean that you forget what happened. Number two, it's not excusing. To forgive someone is not to excuse what they did. If you choose to forgive, it doesn't mean that you go, oh, well, you know, what you did is okay. No, they, it was probably wrong. That's okay. Number three, forgiveness is not denying that it ever happened. As a matter of fact, in order to forgive, you have to acknowledge that it actually happened. And, and that that's an important um I I like to live in denial, and um, I think denial gets a bad rap sometimes, you know, because sometimes getting through the day requires a little denial of the realities. I appreciate you not looking at me and when you so, said that. Yeah, that's, no, honey, not you. But the denial, though, sometimes is our survival step. And, and, you know, you may be there for a little while, but you don't want to stay there. Real forgiveness <clears throat> is able to be able to take place when we say it happened, it was real, it hurt, and that's part of my story, but it's not all of my story. That's part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. It's not going to define my it story. It does not forward. define me. Actually, I have that control now how I move forward. So if we stay in denial, then we never will heal. But if we are moving forward, taking out that key and saying, I forgive, I'm ready to move on to the next room. I don't want to stay in this room of being a victim. We acknowledge it. We deal with and address the hurt and the pain, but we don't stay there. We move on and move past yeah. it. Number four, what forgiveness is not, and this is so important, forgiveness is not necessarily reconciling. It's not necessarily reconciling unless you're married. If you're married, you reconcile. You, you get back on the same page. Um, but there are different relationships in our lives that require different types of forgiveness. There are people that you will never be able to be reconciled with because of the choices they make. So that's on them. That's not your job. But your job, your responsibility, my responsibility is to forgive. That doesn't mean that the relationship gets restored and we're all back to, you know, sunshine and rainbows and strawberry fields forever. And that's important to know because there are friendships or there may be some relationships in your life with extended family or that, that are unhealthy. And um, if you need to deal with forgiveness there, it is okay to forgive someone to love someone dearly and acknowledge that that relationship has changed. Yeah, and to love them from a distance. To love them with healthy boundaries, that's yeah. right. And then number five, what forgiveness is not, I love this one. Forgiveness is not tolerating that behavior. It's not tolerating that behavior to forgive them. Let me tell you something that is so true. In every endeavor of life, relationships, at work, in your business, in your church, what you tolerate you encourage what you do got a little rumble of recognition there what you tolerate you encourage if you allow that behavior to continue you're going to just continue to feed that fire so forgiveness is not the same as tolerating something um when joseph was <clears throat> young he um he didn't start 
speaking until actually he was three. And even then, it was kind of tricky to understand him. But, but um, that was only because his big sister did all his talking. Bless his heart. Him. Well, I mean, you can only imagine how often he had a chance to say words with Emily and me. <laughs> so we were down the bo- in the bottom of our driveway. Our driveway was a hill. And he was riding his little uh, tricycle down there. And we were playing, and he fell down. <laughs> and I saw it. He skinned his knee pretty bad. And so as a mom, I ran over. I said, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. And he was crying, and he was so upset, and he said, I do not pedib you. <laughs> I said, oh, what? He goes, I do not pedib you, Mommy. And I go, oh, no, I-, I wasn't saying that it was my fault. I wasn't saying I'm sorry because I did it. I'm saying I'm sorry that that happened. And he said, I do not pedib you. He could not get past the unforgiveness. <laughs> See, what Joseph did not understand is the concept of unforgiveness and how unforgiveness really hurts, actually, the person who was wounded. The person who was wounded, who chooses not to forgive, who hangs on to the offense, who chooses to stay in the room of the offense and remain a victim and to harbor and hold on to that resentment and that hurt and that pain and not let go of it. Actually, there are physical consequences of this spiritual reality. Mm. There are physical consequences. As Max said, it's kind of fun to get angry at first. You know, you kind of feel your your blood pressure rise, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I could snap him in half right now, um, you know, if I tried. <laughs> but And at first, you're like, that. oh, my gosh, I feel so powerful. But if you choose to let the cortisol stay at that level, if you choose to let the bitterness rise up, if you choose to let the dopamine stay at that level, there are literally physical consequences to that emotional state, to the unforgiveness, the anatomy of unforgiveness. I thought this was fascinating. Increased stress hormones, cortisol, dopamine, and adrenaline, which are no good for your heart if they stay at that level. Increased muscle tension, increased blood pressure and heart rate, increased risk of depression, heart disease, and cancer. Again, I'm telling you, the medical world has come around and they are addressing a reality that God says, let me tell you how life works best. I I just love it when it lines up. It's almost like God knows what he's talking about. I just want to put that out there. It's pretty close. At impaired neurological function and memory and suppressed immune system. You can literally suppress your immune system by holding on to anger and resentment. And again, we are not minimizing or lessening the offense. Mm -hmm. This is saying what happened was wrong, what happened was real, what happened was painful. Now, I choose what I do with that. I choose to stay in that room or to take the key and walk out. It's still somewhere I've been. It's still part of my story, but it's not all of my story. If you think about it, like if you are bitten by a snake, okay, if you're bitten by a snake, what is the first thing you do? You do not go after the snake and try to kill it. (laughs) That is ridiculous. The the snake has bitten you, and there is venom in your heart. There's venom in your life. So now the first thing you do is to deal with the poison in your world. 
let the snake go. If I'm going to go after the snake, <laughs> then I'm just letting the venom fester. I'm just picturing some conversations later on this afternoon. Oh, I'm just letting the snake go. That's what they told me at church today. That's right. That's right. But I, it, is, it is so true, though, if you can use that picture. You know, I've also read that, like, um, unforgiveness is like me taking the poison, expecting the offender to die. Hmm. So let the snake go. I love that. Forgiveness has nothing to do with absolving the criminal. Actually, the criminal or the perpetrator does not even have to know about the forgiveness. The perpetrator may not even still be alive or a part of your life. It has everything to do with relieving oneself of the burden of being that victim, letting go of the pain and transforming, moving from victim to victor. You know what part of the problem is? We have this innate, you know we're created in the image of God, and part of God's character is he is justice personified. He exemplifies justice. So part of our personality is we have a need for justice. We have a need. When somebody wrongs us, we have a need inside to see that wrong made right. And so we can, if we're not careful, allow that need for justice in our lives to cause us to use forgiveness as a weapon like this. I just need you to understand something. I forgive you for that horrific decision that you made. Now, that's not really the true spirit of forgiveness that we're talking about here. There you're kind of using forgiveness like a baseball bat over their head. In reality, again, as Julie said so well, forgiveness is about what I do. How do I respond to the offense? And so... What does forgiveness do? What, what forgiveness does may be the most important part of this entire message. Number one, let go of the offendedness. Let go of your offendedness. If you live offended, then you are by definition defensive. And defensiveness is defenseless. You, you can't live on the defensive all the time. You have to decide to let go of being offended. Ultimately, to hold on to that sense of offendedness is entitlement. You, you feel, I deserve to be offended. I deserve to be mad. I deserve to stay hurt. And that will choke forgiveness out of your life faster than anything else. And when you're talking about marriage or a family that lives together, whether you have, um, you know, teenage children, whatever it is, um, that is a daily process. You cannot stay offended. That is little offenses. Let them go. A apologize and move on. Let it go. You know, we have a tendency, I think, to um, kind of keep score. And like, okay, now we're even. We don't, we erase it. Every night, erase it. Move on. Tomorrow's a new day. Let go of the offense. That's the big offenses as well as the little offenses. Here's the deal. We are two humans trying to live together. Um, this may come as a surprise, but Max is not always perfect. He is awesome. He is totally awesome. <laughs> but he, on occasion, may offend me inadvertently. Or he may do something that I do not care for. We choose to let it go, move on. Tomorrow's a new day. It's not that I never do anything wrong. It's that Mac has chosen to say, address it, like we talked about last week, address it and move on. Let it go, let it go. If you let those bricks 
stack up like we said last week. If you let it, if you hang on to them, eventually there will be a wall there. So this is not just for the big offenses, letting them go. This is that daily routine of let it go, let it go, let... Oh, I want to sing it right now. I know y'all want me to. I can't help it. I'm about to break out into it. I'm not really. I'm thinking about it, but we need to move on quicker. You know what I was thinking about, too, when you said erase the scoreboard every night? Some of you are thinking, but I'm so far ahead. I have worked so hard to amass this lead. But again, do you want to be right or do you want to make it right? That's what we're really talking about. And, you know, the verse that we read from Ephesians 4 at the very beginning will always hold a special place in our heart because Julie's uncle quoted it at the end of our wedding 23 years ago this August. It was there that day where, you know, he, he was kind of in the middle of his sermon, and he, he's an intense guy, Dr. Young, he's, he's, you know, preaching the sermon of the wedding, and I'm going, yes, sir, yes, sir. And all of a sudden, he just kind of wrapped it up, and he said... But above all else, be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And I have never forgotten that moment. Now, I haven't always lived by it, unfortunately, but I've never forgotten that moment. Number two, what forgiveness does, take responsibility for the response to the offense. Take responsibility. Own the responsibility that you have for your response to the offense. You can't do anything about the fact that somebody offended you. But you absolutely control your response to that offense. And here's an interesting thing about responsibility. It's another great reason to teach it to our kids. Responsibility carries hope. When I take responsibility, then I have hope that I can get past this hurt. I can get past this offense. As long as I let the other person control my emotions and stay mad or stay hurt, then there's no hope. I'm just going to remain in this posture of the victim. But as soon as I take responsibility for my response to the offense, then there is hope that I can move past this. And take responsibility for the response to the offense. I think one of the toughest... Um, things to forgive is to forgive mistakes we've made ourselves Mm. is to forgive ourselves and so when we take responsibility for the response to the offense we acknowledge you know we we can stay in that room of victim we can stay in that room of guilt and live there or we can take responsibility and say i made a mistake i made a series of mistakes i lived in a season of mistakes but I have hope that it can get better. And here is the beauty of Jesus, the miracle of Jesus. You could tell me your story, something, a, a season of your life where you were far away from God and you made mistakes that affected other people in your life. And, and I could listen and I would have sympathy. I would have empathy because I've done the same. But here is what Jesus can do with that. 
I don't know, um, I didn't go to seminary, so I don't know a lot of theology or Greek or Hebrew, but I do know fast food. And so I think there's a connection. And so when I get, like the greatest gift ever is when you, maybe your Chick-fil-A sandwich took a little bit longer than they expected, and they give you one of those cards for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich, and they say, bring this back for a free sandwich. It says, redeemable at any Chick-fil-A. That is what the miracle, go with me here, stay with me. Chick-fil-A and Jesus, there are so many connections. Okay, so <laughs> I'm in the drive through line. I know I have that Chick-fil-A coupon. I know I have it. Okay, it's somewhere. It's been on the floorboard of my car. It was in the bottom of my purse. It was in the beach bag. I pull it out. It is so ragged. You can barely read it anymore. But I hand it to the man at Chick-fil-A, and he gives me a Chick-fil-A sandwich. That's what Jesus does. Your Chick-fil-A card, your life, whatever it looks like, you're thinking, Julie, you don't know what my season was like. You don't know how many mistakes I made. And I've been living in this room of guilt for so long that you can barely even see the corners anymore of your Chick-fil-A card. You take that life, whatever it is, those mistakes you've made, those situations, those circumstances in your life that really were the result of other people's decisions. Whatever it is, you take it to Jesus and you say, God, I know that you don't want me to live here. Mm. What happened to me, what I chose, this part of my life, it's a reality. I know it's part of my story, but I don't want it to be all of my story. Romans 8, 28, we claim it. God, we know you work good in all things for those who are called according to your purpose. You give him that. Only Jesus can turn it into something incredible that can be used, that can be beautiful, that can be used for his purposes. You know, that verse in Ephesians, it says, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. That's the key. God gives us the example of how to forgive. God shows us that forgiveness is possible, that we can both extend it and experience it. And I want to just, I want to make sure that, that, that this remains the focus of this message going out from this place today. The psalmist describes how God forgives. In Psalm 103, it would take a poet to describe this. A scientist cannot describe this. But this is what the poet says. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, who reverence him. This, this is just mind-blowing. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you don't want anybody else to know about, he already does. And he says that he takes that in Christ and removes it from you, removes it from me, from Julie, as far as the east is from the west. I mean, just... This is who he is and this is what he does. This is how God operates. And so 
we've spent most of our time today talking about how we forgive other people, and that matters. But if you're here today and you have never tasted the forgiveness of God, this is where all roads lead. In relationship with Christ, all roads lead to the cross. All roads lead to the cross. And it is on the cross that Jesus affected this incredible transaction where his righteousness was traded for our sin. His perfection for our imperfection, our junk, through the miracle of forgiveness. And that's available. This is why we exist as a church, to see as many people experience and then extend that forgiveness as we possibly can. And so if you're here today and you've never stepped into that forgiveness, you've never come into that relationship with Christ, in just a minute we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And it's, it's going to be remarkably straightforward, remarkably simple to do, which doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because it requires the complete surrender of your life to the one who offers that forgiveness. To giving him everything that you are and everything that you ever will be from this, this moment forward. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite you to pray. If you have stepped into that relationship with Christ personally, then I want to invite you to be praying with everything that you've got. For the person on your left or your right or in front of or behind you. But if you're here today and you have never personally and definitively committed your life to Christ, I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting. That prayer of surrender, of responding to Christ. Just silently, right where you are, just talk to him and say, in your own words, silently, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I want it. Jesus, I surrender my life to you right here, right now. Once and for all, I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. And I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. I want to ask everybody, if you will, just for a moment, remain in a spirit of prayer. But for those of you who maybe just prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, I want to just tell you a couple of things. Number one, this is the greatest moment of your life. It's the moment for which God created you. And number two, it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of living the life that is truly life that Jesus invites us into. And so if that was your prayer this morning, then 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because this is the most important moment of your life, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand up high over your head, quietly, but unmistakably raise that hand to mark this moment in your life. And hold that hand up for a moment, because I wanted you to understand there will come another moment where you will wonder, was that real? Did that really happen? And I want you to go back to this one, that moment that you marked it in eternity and said, I am all in with Jesus. As a church, we have no greater privilege, no greater responsibility than this moment in your life. And so as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. It never gets old.